Hey, this morning uh, you may have noticed that um, Pastor Chi isn't here, and that's because he's actually currently preaching at Saint All Saints Anglican Church in Clayton. So one of the Together for Clayton churches that um, we have been partnering closely with. And every year we'll be doing uh, what we call a pulpit swap. Uh, so next week, we're actually going to be inviting Pastor Michael Jensen from St. Andrew's Presbyterian uh, to come and preach to us as well. And we're really looking forward to that as we kind of gear up and ramp up to the September 10th uh, big night for the community dinner and trivia. Um, so don't forget to sign up to that. We have invited so many people from the community and um, our hope is to showcase us as a body of Christ, not just Clayton, but the churches in Clayton, as one united body here to serve the community. In fact, the um, the mayor and the deputy mayor and many, many council members um, across Monash have already RSVP'd. Um, and so they're coming along. We have some very big VIPs, um, and we'd love to see you there joining us for that. And if you missed it, you can find all the links and details of our upcoming events on the QR code that you can scan on your chairs. Um, so you can do that. I don't mind if you do it while I talk. <laughs> so let me pray and we'll get started. Lord God, we just thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you for um, yeah, the way that your spirit is at work among us, Lord. Uh, we thank you for the way that you meet us exactly where we need it and when we need it, Lord, exactly the way that we need it, Lord. And so, God, this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to set our eyes on you. You would help us to focus on what you're wanting to say to us, Lord. And would you soften our hearts, God, to receive uh, what it is that you're wanting to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week, we jumped back into the First Corinthians series, and Pastor Kyle did an incredible job at recapping what happened uh, before the Money and Faith series. So I won't do that just to save a bit of time. Um, but today we're actually going to be looking at the topic of cancel culture versus redemptive culture. Now, who's heard of or know what cancel culture is? It's a few people. Okay, Pastor Kyle doesn't actually believe that it's a thing. Um, he doesn't think it's real, so even though he gave me this topic, so you can ask him about it later. But for those who aren't familiar, cancel culture is a, a phrase that was coined maybe about five or so years ago, um, and it's basically when people, or more frequently public figures like celebrities, who have been deemed to act or say something that's offensive or politically incorrect, um, they get cancelled, and that is they will get culturally shunned, ostracised, um, boycotted, and with some of them even losing their platforms or careers. So, for example, um, Pete Evans. I don't know if you guys know Pete Evans. He used to be like the, one of the judges on My Kitchen Rules. Um, he was a well-known celebrity chef who uh, you know, went on about uh, the paleo diet. Um, so he actually started, during COVID, spreading misinformation about vaccinations, um, and then sharing conspiracy theories and pseudoscience dieting ideas, and he got cancelled. He basically not only got heavily criticised, um, but he got so much backlash that Facebook removed his social media accounts. Um, like, he didn't delete them. Like, they took it off him and didn't allow him to share any longer. He lost all his marketing 
and television contracts, and even Jeff stopped buying the um, coconut water that he was sponsored by. <laughs> uh, he was like, Peter, I'm not buying that. <laughs> but it's your favourite. <laughs> but it's okay, he doesn't, he doesn't get sponsored by them anymore, so Jeff can get his favourite coconut water again. And you may have even heard about J.K. Rowling, the um, Harry Potter author, who spoke, about, uh, spoke up about her opinions on gender issues. Uh, you know, she shared her uh, more traditional view that people who, people who menstruate should be called women. Now, most of us are like, yes, that's, that's what they are. Um, but people were actually really outraged because she wasn't more inclusive and embracing of the transgender community and tried to boycott all things Harry Potter. Like, we were like, we're going to not watch the movies, we're not going to go to the theme parks, we're not going to, you know, read the books and everything like that. I mean, there has only really been um, a handful of extreme cases where people have truly been cancelled uh, with career-ending repercussions. Um, but this concept of cancel culture has been a highly debated hot topic. For some people, this process of calling for accountability and boycotting through the power of backlash, um, public backlash, has been an important tool for social justice. Uh, for others, they believe that um, you know, cancel culture suppresses the freedom of speech. Uh, it causes intolerance, it, it encourages cyberbullying without really you know, making any real social change. And no matter which side of the fence you sit, um, as Christians, you probably find yourselves engaging with similar internal battles like this as you wrestle with how best to represent Jesus in your everyday. Do I speak up? Do I stay quiet and not cause a scene? Do I stand up for what I think is right? Or do I try to win people over by, you know, kind of like fitting in and holding my conservative views close to my heart? Should people be held accountable for their speech? And actions, or should I be exercising love and grace and forgiveness? Unfortunately, there's no black and white passage in Corinthians or in other parts of the Bible that speak directly on cancel culture the way that we understand it today. But fortunately, the Bible does have some key principles that we can apply in the different situations that we find ourselves in in our day to day. First of all, love. You know, while love, grace, and forgiveness are huge overarching themes in the Bible, there is a place for accountability, and especially of those who call themselves believers and followers of Christ. If you remember early in the series, we briefly touched on First um, Corinthians five, where the Apostle Paul confronts and condemns a church, uh, the church about a case of sexual immorality, and he basically tells the believers to excommunicate. This man. And I know I wrestled with this passage when I first read it many years ago because I've got notes written in my Bible where I'm like, question mark, question mark, like, how does this, I don't understand, like, where's the line between church discipline and then, you know, the grace of God? And, and then you can actually see later on, Paul answers that question because then later on I write, oh, <laughs> in the margins as well. Anyone else have like conversations with themselves in the Bibles? So I, I never, I never like write in my Bible in pen or highlight it because then I can like update it <laughs> when I'm like, oh, okay, like I've learned something new. I can like update it and squiggle some new things in there. So First Corinthians, let's have a look at First Corinthians five, where Paul condemns 
spiritual pride. And he says this, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality on, um, going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother, and you are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I'll be present with you in spirit. And so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. You're boasting about this. is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge those outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are, who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. You know, the bar is very low when we first come to know Jesus. The worst of sinners, cheaters, liars, even God-haters and murderers are welcomed into his kingdom. But if you're a born-again Christian, believer who claims to know and follow Jesus, then damn, you better live like you mean it. You know, our lives have been redeemed, transformed, and bought at a price. The power of the gospel and the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross is that we no longer have to be stuck in these cycles of sin, of this destruction, of this brokenness. We've been set free to live lives differently. And I was just saying, to this, uh, saying this to someone the other day. Uh, my entire extended family um, was plagued with depression and divorce. My parents are divorced. My sister had been divorced. My, most of my aunties are divorced. Even my grandparents are divorced. But as the first Christian in my family... I have set, been set free from this generational sin and cycle of brokenness. And I'm able to rewrite the story by the power of Jesus Christ and the grace and wisdom that comes from journeying with the Lord in my marriage. Of course, none of us are perfect, which is why Paul tells the Philippian church to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When he says that we're working out, you know, we're all a work in progress. But the Holy Spirit helps to guide us, to convict us, to urge us to be more like Christ every day, fulfilling his good purpose in our lives. 
As Christians, we're called to live different lives. We are to hold each other accountable, and you know, if there is someone who is sinning, to call them into repentance. But it is not our place to judge those who are yet to know God. As Pastor Kyle spoke about last week, um, even though we are free to do what we want or eat what we want, uh, besides blatantly sinning, of course, um, sometimes we may be called to give up these privileges so that others can come to know Jesus. In 1 Corinthians um, 9, Paul says, Even though I am free, a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the, Jews, the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. Even though under the law, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Instead of opposing and pulling down those who are different to us and creating a divide or standing on higher moral ground like cancel culture suggests that we do, Paul lives in a way that breaks down every possible barrier so that those who are different from us can come to know and love and follow Christ. I think of the Salvation Army who, um, who vow not to drink alcohol because of the people that they minister to every day. Um, and I know some of my uh, Salvation Army friends won't drink even if they're in a social situation where you know, it's just a you know, private um, function or whatever, and they're like, nope, I can't because I need to live a life that witnesses to those I reach. During my mission days, I remember visiting um, hot and humid Islamic countries um, like Indonesia and wearing long sleeve tops and pants so that we earn the right to speak. I distinctly remember having a conversation with a local uh, woman in, um, in the Kampung, um, and she said to us that we dressed really politely. Um, you know, to them, all foreigners from the West equaled Christians, like, even though that was not true. Um, but most of the foreigners that came to Indonesia were those who you know, wore singlets and bikinis and partied in Bali. Um, they would get drunk and you know, cause havoc. And for them... Westerners equaled Christians. And so for them, they're like, we, we do not listen to anything a Christian would say. But for us to cover up our bodies and to um, dress politely and to be respectful to them immediately meant that we earned the uh, right to speak. I also had a Christian friend who st- I studied at Bible college with who worked at an LGBT AIDS clinic um, because he wanted to be among the people. Um, he wanted to represent Jesus to them. Another example I think of is Hudson Taylor, a missionary who truly tried to live out Paul's words. Instead of using an interpreter, he worked really hard to learn the Chinese language. He not only spoke Chinese, but he dressed Chinese, he ate Chinese, he even grew a pigtail to look Chinese so that he could reach the Chinese with the gospel of Christ. I remember setting up for church among the working class in Taiwan, where we gathered under the neighborhood tree. Um, and instead of having a pulpit and singing songs, 
from a PowerPoint screen. We sat around and told stories from the Bible. For worship, someone would read all the words out of the song, so that we wouldn't,、um, so that people who didn't read were able to join in. We sang in the local dialect instead of Mandarin, so that we didn't exclude anyone who wasn't educated. I remember speaking to a colleague who had told us about a community of new believers in、um, Northwest Asia who wrestled with the biblical text and decided to use、um, rice cake and a soup made of red beans for communion because they didn't have bread or red wine in their culture. I remember one of my missionary lecturers、um, telling us about the time he studied his PhD at a secular university. He purposely didn't make himself known as a Christian. He didn't tell anyone that he was an ex-missionary, a church planter. He didn't tell anyone that he was even a Bible college lecturer because he wanted to build rapport. He wanted to build trust. He wanted to build relationship with those he was studying first, so that they felt safe、um, to confide in him. He wanted to, them to know him as a friend that they could speak to, instead of building instant barriers with labels that would disqualify him to speak. But for someone else in a different context, with a more with a different group of people, it may be more helpful to make your beliefs known and stance known. And as Christians, many of us will have to make these decisions every day, to wrestle with what、um, we find,、uh, what we do as Christians. Um, in our non-Christian contexts, in our non-Christian communities, in our non-Christian workplaces, in our friendship circles, in missions, the gospel is contextualized as much as possible without changing the core message, and delivered in a way that is helpful and meaningful to the people, so that some would come to Christ. But doing these things take a lot of work. It takes a lot of thought, it takes a lot of tact, and it takes a lot of wisdom. It means making mistakes, learning. Unlearning, relearning. It requires us to take a fresh look at Scripture and wrestle with it all the time. It takes us to apply the Scripture to politics, to our social and relational issues in our everyday. It really requires us to live out the text and wrestle with what it means for us. Unfortunately, I can't tell you. What or how you do that, because every situation you'll find yourselves in is going to be unique, and that's why we so desperately need the wisdom and guidance of the Holy Spirit in our everyday to help us figure out what it looks like. The Bible is full of examples of love, grace, and forgiveness as we begin to grasp the redemptive act of God through what Jesus did on the cross. So, how do we live this out? How do we find ways of applying this? How do we find ways to bridge these gaps with people that are yet to know Him? One such example is Paul's letter to Philemon. Who's read the book of Philemon? Very few. <laughs> Does it? Who's never heard of the book of Philemon? <laughs> There's a few. <laughs> it's actually,、um, yeah, it's a book in the. It's a very, very short book in the New Testament. Actually,、so、it's not really a book. It's like it's a letter because there's no chapters. There's no, there's like no chapters. There's just one, one pager found in the New Testament between Titus and Hebrews. If you haven't read it before, I really recommend it as there's so many gems in such a short passage. So Philemon was a、um, dear friend of Paul's. He was a slave owner, as many and even Christians were in at, at that time and culture. 
Philemon was um, the owner of a runaway slave named Onesimus. Now, Paul doesn't kind of outright condemn slavery in this passage. Um, and in fact, he doesn't condemn it in any other of his letters either. Um, not because he thought it was a good thing. And I don't think he was like, you know, we should continue slavery. Like, I don't think that's what Paul um, meant. But most probably because um, it was a very accepted part of culture and society back in that time. Um, and also, it would have been much too big of a social and cultural structure for any individual to combat and to fully and completely change or abolish. However, in the Old Testament and many of Paul's letters, very countercultural instructions for how God's people should be treating slaves was very evident. And in this very letter, um, Paul actually writes to Philemon, and he's very gently suggesting to Philemon that instead of punishing Onesimus, who ran away, that he should forgive him and accept him as a brother in Christ. And not only that, to be treating him as an equal. So why don't we have a read together? So verse 1, greetings from Paul. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister, Aphia, who was probably Philemon's wife, the one who probably would have managed the slaves, and to our fellow soldier, Archippus, who we think would be probably his son, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Christ, Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. First up, the, the you in that last verse there um, is plural. And as he addresses not only Philemon himself, he's, he's addressing his household and the church that meets at his house. So this is a fairly public letter um, that was you know, perhaps meant to be read out to a small group of people. And so this is, like, this is quite a public accountability piece. And continuing in verse 4. I always thank God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Paul's basically reminding Philemon, what a great Christian he is. He's like, you should, you're, you're an amazing Christian, and you should continue to be like this. I'm just reminding you all the great things you have done for the Lord. And so that's why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ, because it is the right thing for you to do. He's, he's like, I'm just hoping that I'm saying these things, hoping he'll come to the conclusion himself, but I'm not going to tell him. He said, I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I simply prefer to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Anisimus hasn't been one of made much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. And I am sending him back to you with him, and with him comes my own heart. 
I wanted to keep him here with me while I am in these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you're willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, he, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. That's a bit of... <laughs> his, so this, Paul probably led Philemon to Christ as well. So that's why he's saying that. You're like, you owe me one. <laughs> yes, my brother. Please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident that as I write this letter, that you will do what I ask, and even more. So Paul gently and persuasively writes to Philemon in a non-confronting way in order for him to do the right thing without saying it. That instead of punishing Onesimus, to forgive him, accept him again, but as a brother in Christ, and to treat him as an equal. Which, if you can imagine... To, to see this happen in a slave context is a huge deal. Just recently, I also found myself in a situation where, you know, some, someone had said some fairly um, hurtful things. Um, and if I wasn't a Christian, I probably would have snapped back quite instantly with hurtful words as well and reacted in a highly, one well, of my highly strong emotions at the time. But I actually found myself wrestling internally about how I should be responding the Holy Spirit made me quite aware of my emotions um, and I, that I was feeling. And after a breather, I was actually able to respond gently and calmly. Thankfully, this person received it well and genuinely made an apology. And that was accepted and the relationship was restored. And I don't know if you've heard about um, what's happening in Pakistan at the moment. But someone was allegedly seen to rip out pages of the Quran um, and then write hateful words on the other parts of the book. And as a result, there has been a devastating response from the Muslim community um, in persecuting the Christian minority. Um, heartbreakingly, there were um, over 20 churches. This is just, I think my friend told me that on Friday or Saturday. 20 churches and over 40 homes have been burnt. There's been so much violence, um, damage, and innocent families and lives who have been affected and displaced. Some of my um, Pakistani friends from um, Lasan have been seeing through really heartbreaking images um, of the situation there and really asking for our prayers for the persecuted Pakistani church. Because as humans, it's so easy. It's so easy for us to hold on to grudges. It's so easy for us to build up stories in our heads about people who, um, who offend us. It's easy to jump to conclusions and to react in ways that so that we gain the upper hand, to seek revenge, you know, to you know, get back at people. If I could get the worship team up, um, that would be great. Whether that is to you know, publicly cancel someone, to talk about them behind their back so that people would side with us or to punish them by seeking revenge or giving them the silent treatment or 
cutting them out of our lives. We can go to great lengths when we act on our emotions. And what society tells us is the fair thing to do. That we must have this us versus them mindset. That we must be seen as opposing the people who are different from us and never seen as supporting anyone or ideas that we disagree with. That we don't associate with those who have different beliefs to us. But as Christians, Jesus teaches us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies. That there is power in redemptive and restorative relationships. That there is grace and hope and transformative power in building and bridging gaps with people that we disagree with. Because our God is a redemptive God who sent his son to die for us even while we were still sinners. Yes, hold accountable to those who call themselves Christians but continue to live lives of sin. Yes, call them to repentance. But don't burn bridges and build up walls with those who are yet to know Christ. How is God wanting to bring about redemption and restoration through your relationships and circumstances? What is he asking you to lay down in order for you to be useful for him and his purposes? Is it your pride? Is it your fears? Is it your judgment on others? Who might he be prompting you to confront, apologize to, or forgive? Lord God, we thank you for your grace on our lives, God. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us, Lord, as we wrestle with what it looks like to live lives that are glorifying to your name, that are worthy of your name. Father, help us, Lord, not to think of ourselves as better than anyone else, God, but to lay down our lives so that others may know you, Lord. God, in the situations that we find ourselves in, in the relationships that we find ourselves in, God, would you help us to recognize where it is that you want to bring redemption, where it is that you want to bring restoration, where it is that you want to bring transformation, God. Help us not to take sides so that we can be seen as fitting in. Help us, Lord, not to make decisions for the sake of our selfish needs, God, but for the sake of the gospel. God, we pray that as um, yeah, as each of us here, Lord, step into our Monday to Fridays, God, as we interact with our neighbours, as we interact with our colleagues and our families, Lord. Help us, Lord, to bridge these gaps, rebuild these relationships, Lord, so that we can see you at work. And God, we just want to give this over to you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that your will would be done in our lives, God. Help us, God, to be bringers of change, to be peacemakers, to be those who are seeking after you and your kingdom. In your name, amen.